What a sad commentary on the state of our church today. We laugh, but we laugh partly because we don't want to cry and to admit that it's true. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be engaged in a series of topical studies in between our studies of Second Timothy and Titus, where we are going to talk about the reality of our church within the culture and community in which we live. We're going to be engaged in a series called Stop Dating the Church, and this is a series of messages inspired by contemplation upon a book written by Joshua Harris under that same title. Now it is no longer under, published under the name Stop Dating the Church, but now it is rather published under the name Why Church Matters. But as we walk through the context of our culture and the context of our community, we increasingly see a devaluing and disrespect of the church and its purposes within the place of God's great and glorious kingdom. And as we begin today, I want to begin by telling you the story that Joshua Harris opens his book with. There was a mutual friend who thought Jack and Grace seemed like the perfect pair. They indeed seemed to complement each other in every way. Grace was beautiful, outgoing, and caring. She was always concerned for Jack and was there whenever he needed her. For the first few months, they were inseparable. Jack was consumed by Grace, always seeking opportunities to talk to her and text and Facebook her. There was no separation between the two. He told his friends, I don't need to look any further. She is absolutely perfect. She's the one for me. I'm sure of it. Now, almost three years have passed. Jack enjoys the comfort and the company provided by Grace, but the spark has faded. Grace's flaws are more obvious now, and he's not sure he is as attracted to her as he once was. On top of all that, he is beginning to resent all the time that she wants to spend with him. And the other night during dinner, as they were discussing their relationship, Grace asked that Jack would define their relationship, to which Jack exploded, and he said, we're together aren't we what else do you want what a loving answer guys don't try that next next week at valentine's dinner We're together, aren't we? What else could you ask for? What else could you want? Jack wasn't interested in commitment. He wasn't interested in settling down and serving the needs of the relationship. Indeed, we must ask ourselves at points like that, what value is there in this relationship if the only goal is simply to spend time together? You ever been there? Has that ever been your approach in a relationship? Or maybe you were on the receiving end where the other one said, well, I'm here. What else do you want from me? See, this series of sermon is the, uh, sermons are designed to address the lack of commitment, the lack of passion, and the lack of love for God's church within our community and culture. Indeed, truth be told, we are Jack and grace is the church. We are actually Jack, and there are millions upon millions of Jacks throughout our culture that are ignoring 
and saying that simply going to church and sitting there for a few moments and soaking up whatever is coming out that morning from the pulpit and then going home and doing nothing with it is all that you need to be an active part of a vibrant part of God's community of faith within this world. We finished up 2 Timothy a couple weeks ago where Paul, facing sure and certain execution, told young Timothy never to stop loving God, guarding the gospel of salvation and serving the church. We saw their commitment, passion, and service, even the willingness to lay down his life so that the church of the living God might go forward. But understand, before we can fully realize God's purposes and intent to fulfill the fulfill uh, love, passion, and commitment towards the church in our lives, we must understand that we have a problem. We have a problem in the fact that many of us are simply dating the church and not actually married to God's church. See, many of us enjoy the company, the comfort, and the convenience of the church building, but truth be told, we are not interested in taking on real responsibility and serving within the church. We like flirting and flitting around the edges, but we don't like settling down and actually serving God. We excuse or justify our stance because of the disappointment, the disillusionment, and the distrust that we have experienced within other places and at other times, but we must not excuse or justify Justify that in order so that we might say that we have no responsibility in service of the living God. The reality is that very few of us have spent any length of time thinking about God's great plan and purpose for the Christian and specifically for the church. See, the church is not man's idea. The church is God's idea. The church is God's idea and it's not just a plan or a program that the church has put together so that we might draw you out and come and have a meeting. The universal church consists of local churches that are the key to spiritual health and growth for every Christian. Indeed, we see that within Hebrews chapter uh, 10 verse 25 when, when it tells us uh, the reality that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. For in verse 23 and following it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near story is told of a pastor who went to visit one of his members who had not been in quite a while. And as they were sitting down to talk, he saw the, the coal, the, the fire was burning and they were enjoying the warmth of the fire. And as they began to talk, the, the member began to say how much he didn't need church and how he thought church was overrated and there was really no place in his life for it. And as the man continued to talk, the pastor reached with the, with the tongs into the, into the fire and took out a piece of wood and he laid it there on the hearth and that glowing red and orange piece of piece of wood eventually turned black and cold and callous and as he sat there and he listened to the man he heard all that he had to say and then right before the pastor got up to leave he took that that stick and he said do you see how cold and callous this piece of wood has become and the man said yes and he took it and he stuck it back into the fire and immediately it returned glowing hard hot red Red with the fire. He said, when a Christian is removed from the church, this is a picture 
of what happens to you. We need to understand. We may have all kinds of convenient excuses for why we don't want to be committed and why don't we don't want to serve, why don't we don't want to be active. But as the visible body of Christ in this world, the local church is central to God's plan of fulfilling the Great Commission by facilitating the flow of the gospel to the ends of the earth in every generation. And we must understand if we want to be an active part of God's service of God's kingdom within this world, we need to be an active part of God's church. Joshua Harris says a wholehearted relationship with a local church is God's loving plan for me and for every other follower of Christ. See, being a part of a church isn't just what your parents want for you. It's not just what your pastors want for you. It is what your creator has designed for you. Do you understand the loving God of the universe who created you, who designed you, who saved you, and is now sanctifying you, has designed you to live within the faith community of His church? It is indeed that organism which He has designed for me to grow in wisdom and in knowledge, to be confronted in my sin, and to be conformed to the image of my Savior. This is what God has designed for you and I to live in and to love. And we need to see the the church in the same way God sees the church. We need to see the church as God's beautiful bride. Let us turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32, and there see a passage of Scripture that shows and reveals what it means for God to love His beautiful bride and how He loves it and shows His love for it and passion for His church in the same way that marriage depicts passion and love between a man and a woman. Let's stand now in honor of this, the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32, the Word of God reads as follows. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives even as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, but just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Father, we ask this morning that you would come and stir our hearts. Father, with fresh zeal. Father, for you and for your word. Allow us in these moments to have a fresh zeal for you and your church. Lord, allow us to see with your eyes. To love with your heart. And to serve with the same, same, Father, passion that you have served us lord allow us in this time father to walk through the scripture to see your passion and your love and to reflect it in our lives 
Lord, we pray now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that God loves and adores His beautiful bride. And He wants us in a committed and passionate relationship with His body for His purposes of redemption and sanctification. God loves His beautiful bride. And He wants you and I to join in a passionate relationship, a committed relationship where we would be living in a faith community, where we would be serving in a faith community, where we would be living out the gospel in the areas of redemption and sanctification God loves and adores his bride and this is what we ought to understand God loves and adores his bride and you and I should love and adore his bride as well right we usually hear this passage of scripture in weddings or at marriage seminars and it usually comes up about the time that we are ready to remind the husbands the Christian husbands of their responsibilities within the marriage relationship and that application is absolutely right and it's absolutely wonderful and we will make that application another time but these verses today also reveal much about what Jesus thinks of his bride what he desires her to be and how he chooses to love her and so today let us consider these verses again and this time let us take these verses and consider them from the standpoint of what Jesus has done for his beloved bride the church to secure our salvation what he does for us in our sanctification and what he will do for us in our glorification this morning as we begin let's begin by seeing that marriage is a picture of God's passion marriage is a picture of God's passion now almost four years ago the date was June the 7th, 2008. 6708, that's a very good uh, day to get married because it's easy to remember your anniversary from that time forward. But on June the 7th, 2008, I stood at the front of First Baptist Church, Barnesville, Georgia. And I stood there and I was, I was standing and I was listening to the music and I, I, I was nervous. I mean, I'll just be flat out honest with you. I was nervous. And I started to have the sway. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding and you've watched the groom and he's very nervous, you'll immediately know what I'm talking about. But I started to sway back and forth. And I, I was standing there, right there at the front, at, right there at the front of the church in which I had been saved. And I had given my heart and my life to Christ right there in the church, right across the way was the baptismal pool in which I had been baptized as a sign and symbol that I had received Christ as my Savior. I was standing there before the pastor who had poured himself into my life and been my pastor for most of my life. And I was standing there and I was nervous. But all of a sudden the music crescendoed. And all of a sudden the pastor said, all rise. And in that moment, that nervousness fleeted, flew away. That nervousness disappeared. And exuberance and excitement filled my heart as I turned my head. And there the back doors of the church swung open. And in entered my beautiful bride. And in that moment, 10,000 soldiers could have stormed the building. And my affection and my attention would not have in the least been deterred from my beautiful bride. And I look exactly. That's Every time I think about it, that's how I feel. It soars within me because the beauty of the one who is now 
my bride. And nothing, no one, no person, no thing could ever distract my affection and my attention from the one who is my beloved. I read this passage and all of a sudden the picture of God comes into my mind. That same passion is the passion God has for his church. That's the love. That's the passion. That's the zeal. Our great and glorious God has for his children. The Bible uses many words to describe the church, but perhaps the most striking is this term, the bride, which is used there in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. For in this word picture, we not only see God's purposes for us, but we also see the depths of his passion, his love and his commitment to those that he is redeeming, that he is setting apart to be a people for himself. In the midst of that earthly experience of matrimonial bliss, listen, we are to find a fleeting glimpse, a little taste of how much Christ loves and cares for his followers just like we are getting a little taste a little experience of what all of eternity will be like there in glory today understand there at that moment when you are married when you are just excited and exuberant and unable to contain the expression of your emotions understand that is the picture of the passion with which God loves his church The joyful anticipation, the pure and undying love, the boundless hope felt in those moments hints at the commitment and the passion of Jesus Christ as he expresses it for his bride. Jesus Jesus calls you and I believers in Christ his beautiful and beloved bride. And we never need to write that off. We never need to forget it. Now, some of you are pressing to get to me and just tell me how bad your church experiences have been. Well, Pastor, if you just knew the problems that I had seen, if you just knew what we had gone through, understand I've been there. I've experienced those same problems. I've experienced those same perplexities. But understand, just because we have had bad experiences, because we are still living this side of glory, and we have not come into the full eternity of God we must not compromise what he tells us to be true. In other words, the passion he loves his church with is the same passion that we see reflected in human matrimony. We must understand that we cannot justify or explain our negative perspective and perceptions of the church based on our experiences, but rather we are to understand God loves His church and marriage is given as a picture of His passion toward His people. In other words, marriage is a depiction in reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the redemptive love that He has. See, Church is not just a building. It's not just a congregation. It's not just a denomination. It is the universal family of the living God all around the world who have been redeemed by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So God's passion and God's love is most clearly expressed in redeeming man from his sin through repentance, placing uh, placing faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son and His sole source of salvation in the in the work of Jesus Christ there in his perfect life in his atoning death and glorious resurrection to be the source of salvation for our souls so that we might surrender fully to his lordship and listen marriage was created to depict for us unselfish unquenchable and undying redemptive love 
Marriage was given by God as a picture of his passion. And in it, we see his unselfish, unquenchable, and undying love for his people. The passion of marriage reflects the passion of God for his church. Do you have that kind of passion for God's people? Do you have that kind of passion for God's church? But not only is marriage a picture of God's passion for the church, marriage is a profound mystery of God's love. When this passage speaks of the church, obviously the allusion is to the church universal. This is the living, breathing, spiritual family of God throughout all of creation. And and that is what we join. That is what we are joined to when we are saved by the grace of God. And then we follow Him in believer's baptism and are baptized as an external sign of the internal change that has come to bear upon our lives. Now listen, how much did Christ love the church? He loved her how much? So much that he gave himself up for her. He died. He suffered. He took upon himself the justice, the judgment, the wrath of the living God that you and I deserved. That's how much he loved you. That's how much Christ loved his church. He died to take the penalty and the punishment of God's wrath against our sin so that we might then be forgiven and be given freedom in Jesus Christ. So now we not only are free from the penalty of our sin, but the power of sin is broken within our hearts and in our lives. And now He is doing what? He is working day by day to sanctify us. He is cleansing us and preparing us for eternity with Him. Do you notice the spectrum there? In salvation, He makes us His own. He brings us into a right relationship with Himself. In sanctification, He conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. In glorification, we will get to live with Him for all of eternity, free from the penalty and power of sin forever. What a glorious and great God we serve. See, one day Jesus is going to return to fully and finally redeem us and to raise us in new life, to live with Him eternally. And so now we see the full consummation of that promise there in John chapter 3, verse 16. There we understand that that for all of us, who have repented of our sins, place our faith in Jesus Christ, we see the love of God clearly demonstrated that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you today, do you have everlasting life? Do you know that great love of God? That's how much He loves us. Understand this, Christ's love is not flitty. It is fervent. Christ's love is not fickle. It is faithful. He is nourishing. He cherishes. He sustains and protects His bride because as a part of His body, He is nourishing and caring for His own flesh. Indeed, that means our pain is His pain. Our rejection is His rejection. Our persecution is His persecution. But it also means that our joy is His joy. Our peace is His peace. And our victory is His victory. We are united with Christ by His redemptive work. See, what a great and glorious mystery that God would unite us with Himself. 
What a great and glorious ministry that God would choose rebels that have, uh, that have chosen to reject Him and to run away from Him. And He would reach out in love and send His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to take the penalty of your sin, the penalty of my sin, upon Himself at the cross, to die in our place and to rise again in glorious victory so that you and I, if we would repent of our sins and place faith in Him, might be redeemed. Notice the reference here in this passage is the re- in verse 31 is a reference to Genesis chapter 2 and which says one man and one woman, two flesh, now are going to become what? One flesh. The two flesh will become one flesh. And this is a picture, but notice Paul says this institution of marriage is by divine design, even before the fall, a reflection of the love and commitment our Creator has to redeem His created creatures. Those who have reviled Him, those who have rejected Him, those who have run away, God loves them and is reaching out to them. And He even gives us a picture of redemptive love before the fall of man. How powerful. God knew we were going to need a Savior. And even before we had sinned, He gave us a picture of His love for us. Man, God didn't get His inspiration for loving the church from marriage, but rather God created marriage to illustrate His commitment to love His church. So profound the mystery of the ages is the increasing revelation of God's redemptive love toward His church in making sinful fallen man into His children. Why in the world would a bridegroom bring a bride to be His flesh? he knew she had rejected and reviled and run away from her, from him. See, God in marriage is giving you a picture of his redemptive love. And he says, even in your wickedness, even in your sin, even in your decision to reject and to revile and to run away from me, I'm going to reach out to you and I'm going to give you a new life, a new heart, and a new start. See, God gave us romance within this world, marriage, and the promise of undying love between a man and a woman so that we might just catch a glimpse of the, or a glimmer of the glory and the intense love of Christ for those, had for those that He died to save. Indeed, every story of true love told throughout human history, every groom who is swooning at the sight of His beloved bride from there at the front of the church, every faithful, loving, and committed marriage is pointing to the reflection of Jesus Christ in the gospel of redemptive love. Yet each is an imperfect echo of the perfect love that our Creator has shown us in Jesus Christ. How great a mystery. What great glory. What a beautiful picture. What passion. What love. What commitment Christ has to His church. The church is the object of God's passion, of God's love, and God's commitment in such a way that all that are united with Christ by faith become a part of His body, a part of His beloved bride. So we see in marriage a picture of God's passion for His people. We see in marriage a a profound mystery of God's redemptive love 
But understand this, this has great implications for you and I today. It has great implications for the Christian because we understand from these passages that we are studying today that in Christianity, we are to be a reflection of God's passion and love. You and I are to be a reflection of God's passion and God's love. In order for us to find passion and commitment for the church, we must see the the church as God sees it. That's why we looked at what it meant for the church to be referenced as the bride of Christ. Why we looked at His passion and His love so that then we could say to ourselves, we ought to be passionate and loving towards the same thing that our Redeemer is passionate and loving towards. See, the strongest argument that I can give you today for why you should love and care for the local church is because Jesus Christ loves and cares for the church. He loves and cares for the church in such, with such passion and such love that He gave up His life to redeem us from our sins. See, the greatest motivation that we can ever find for being passionately committed to the church is that Jesus Christ is passionately committed to the church. As Christians, we are to be imitators of God. That's what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. It says, listen, you ought to have the same attitude in you that Christ had in in himself. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it tells us that we are to be conformed to the image of God's Son to the image of Jesus Christ. And I must ask you the question this morning, can there be any question that being like Jesus means loving what He loves, wanting what He wants, and cherishing what He cherishes? Yet the question begs, why is this so difficult? Why is this so hard for God's people here in this world to live out? Well, when we think of the church, we don't think of the beautiful bride of Christ, do we? We oftentimes think of all the negative experiences, all the personal problems, all the wrong perceptions that we have of the church. We think, uh, we picture the church as a broken down building filled with bickering people listening to a fraudulent televangelist who is always begging for money and invariably seems to get caught up in immoral behavior that is public throughout the community and we wonder why we have problems in the church but I want to challenge you this morning is the church fallen is it failed is it full of hypocrites who need help absolutely listen if you're looking for the perfect church this morning Adamsville Baptist is not the perfect church because we still live in a fallen world with fallen people if you're looking for the perfect pastor this morning I'm not him. Never will be until God returns and I am uh, experience the full glorification that is promised within the redemption of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will never be perfect. But understand this. If you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Think about it for a few minutes. If you ever say, well, I found the perfect church. Listen, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Every one of us are fallen. Every one of us need 
a savior to save us from our sin but maybe we ought to change our view from an earthly view of the church to an eternal view of the church look there in ephesians chapter 3 verses 9 through 8 through 11 with me and see the heavenly view of the great and glorious work that god is doing through the manifold mystery of the wisdom that he has of redeeming a people through the church to himself it says in chapter 3 verse 8 to me the very least of all the saints this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So there's a mystery that needs to be unfurled. What is that mystery? Verse 10 tells us, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Jesus Christ our Lord. What is that passage saying in those verses? We see that the rulers and authorities in heavenly places look down at God's work through the church with amazement, awe, and wonder. They are filled with amazement, awe, and wonder at what God is doing. For they are glued to the unfolding act of redemption of man through the glorious grace of God. Why? Because the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed in that sinners who once ran from God, who once reviled God, who once rejected the living God, God and all of his commands now have been reconciled to him who have been brought they who were far off now have been brought near and not only that but the manifold God of the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed that now the church is the instrument of redemption for others and we are extending the gospel call to the ends of the earth and that is God's great and glorious purpose for his beloved bride see through his church God gives us a part in His eternal plan to rescue men and women from their sin and totally transform their lives. The church is a city that is set on a hill where people who once hated God, who once hated one another, have now been brought near, who have become one people under God's rule, one household of faith. Through the gospel, sinners are not only reconciled to God, but we are reconciled to each other. For there in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, we find that express purpose given by the words of scripture when it says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of god's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of god in the spirit how great a promise that in the church we learn to love god and love others we are strengthened and transformed by the truth of god's word we are taught to pray to witness to worship and to work for the living god for indeed the church is god's greenhouse where he intends for us to flourish spiritually to receive new life to grow and to change for the glory of god god wants to redeem you he wants you to make he wants to make you into the express image of his son Jesus Christ and the question this morning is do you love God's purposes and plans he has ordained for his church Ted Tripp says this your life is much bigger than a good job 
an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. Really? (laughs) Some of you will get that later. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are a part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into His kingdom, and progressively shaping them into His likeness. And He wants you to be a part of it. Listen, God doesn't want you to be consumed with me, my, and mine. He wants you to be consumed with the eternal everlasting kingdom of our Creator. Listen, you give up on the concerns of me, my, and mine. You lay down your life and you reflect God's passion and God's love for His gospel going to the ends of the earth so that you might increasingly be sanctified to be made into the image of Jesus Christ and so that the message of salvation might flow to the ends of the earth to every sinner who needs God's Savior. Don't be so concerned with your kingdom. Be concerned with your master's kingdom. Be concerned with your maker's kingdom. For then we have a God-sized view and no longer do we see the building which is merely bricks and mortar. Listen, this building can be torn down tomorrow, but the church of the living God can never perish. That is worth everything. So if you want a God-sized life where you can experience the immense spiritual blessings of not only saying that you are a part of God's family, but actually serving God's eternal purposes, then you be a reflection of Christ's passionate commitment, His undying love, and His unending devotion to His church. You reflect God's passion and His love for His church by serving and by showing the gospel in your life. So we close today. When we see the church through God's eyes, there are two important lessons that we learn. First of all, God loves the church more than we could ever comprehend. Because see, you and I, we love people that we like, right? People who love us first. People who meet our needs. But God loves sinners who had rejected and reviled Him. His love for us is, is more than we could ever comprehend. Secondly, His divine design is for His children, those Christians, to be a part of His church because we are a part of Him. If we are a part of His body, then we surely are a part of His bride and we ought to participate in His body and His bride. God loves and is passionately committed to His beloved bride. And listen, His children should love and be passionately committed to His bride as well. Jesus loves the church. So should His children disillusionment and disappointment will come. They will seek to hinder us and to hamper us, but Jesus is the only one who ever has the right to disown or divorce His church, His beautiful bride, and yet He never has and He never will. Vernon Kepley speaks of His beloved bride and it tears me to pieces every time I hear this man talk of His beloved Millie. You know why? Because as soon as he starts to talk about her, tears start rolling down his cheek because of his great love for her. And he doesn't just stop with tears, a few tears. He will actually be moved to weeping because of his great love for his bride. Sixty years, right? This July. Sixty years. And that is a reflection of the love that our great and glorious God has 
for us, his church. See, to Mr. Vernon, Miss Millie's not. She's not just his old lady. She's not an old ball and chain. She's not an old bag and she's not an old nag. She's his bride. You know what? We need to have the same view of God's church. We need to love his church with the same passion and the same fervency. Because John Stott tells us that this passage is a picture of what God's church will look like when he redeems her. For John Stott says this, On earth the church is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted, but one day she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ, free from spots, wrinkles, or any other disfigurement, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. It is only it is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work. The bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labors to beautify her in order to present her to himself. How do you see the church today? Is it Christ's beautiful bride or is it just a barren branch? Is it Christ's beautiful bride or is it a bag, a ball and chain? Listen, we need to see the church as Christ sees the church. We need to have a great love for God and a great love for His body and His bride. We need to be a people. We need to be a people today who come and surrender ourselves to Him so that we might love, honor, and passionately serve Him within the context of His church that He has given to facilitate the flow of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But you know how you first step into the church? You don't step into the church by walking an aisle, praying a prayer, and saying, I want to unite here. You start and enter into God's church by surrendering all of your life to Him. You want to be a part of God's pride? Then you've got to be willing to say, I do. I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I give you my time, my talents, my treasure, I give you everything. I'm not going to hold anything back, for now I'm giving up myself so that my sinful, wicked, reveling, rebellious self might be unified to the beautiful bride of Jesus Christ. Will you give your heart and life to Him today? If you will, I challenge you in the next few minutes to step out, to come down this aisle, and to let us know that you have surrendered all to Him and to Him alone this morning. Father, let us be people who remember how much you loved your bride. Let us be people who would stop dating the church, stop stop seeking our own pleasure and enjoyment, and start fulfilling the plans and purposes that you have for it. Lord, let us not see the church simply as a barren branch where we come and get beaten down. But Lord, let us see the church as the beautiful bride of Christ where we come to be built up. Father, let us at Adamsville Baptist Church love you in such a way that we also love your church and that we demonstrate every time we gather our passionate love 
for our Savior, our Sustainer, and our Master. Lord, lead us in this time of decision. Father, allow us to surrender everything we have, everything we are, to You. And Father, to You alone. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this closing song of invitation, Just As I Am. God wants you to come just as you are so that He can fix fix you up, He can save your soul, and He can start sanctifying you to look like Jesus Christ. But listen, you don't have to do anything in and of yourself because, listen, it is not the bride who makes herself beautifully prepared for her husband. It is the bridegroom that beautifully prepares her. So as you come today... If you would come, come just as you are and surrender your soul and yourself to Jesus Christ and to Him alone.